Hello and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our Tools and Tips series. Welcome to another episode of Codish. I'm Anthony Mazzarella, a Senior Engineering Manager at Heroku. Today, we're going to talk about building and scaling effective distributed teams for startups. Joining me is Juan Pablo Buritica, uh, VP of Engineering at Splice. Hi, Juan. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What can I tell you? I Yes, I work at Splice. I've uh, been here for about three years. I've been in tech for about 10, mostly building and running engineering teams in, in, in different industries and in different companies based in New York. Um, I've gotten to work in the music industry, in the ride sharing industry, comics, advertising, and fashion. Um, and I am lately very, very interested in how distributed teams work. Can they be effective or not? Or if not, how do you make them effective? As I understand it, you also um, are doing some work um, in support of your wife's company, uh, Elizabeth Clark, your wife, uh, Melanie Moore. She started a company recently, and I think you've had a bit of a hand in that as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, so I've been chief technical husband <laughs> for about, uh, I think it's seven years now. Melanie started a, a fashion startup called Elizabeth and Clark. Uh, it's a it's a subscription service workwear for for women she invented an unsustainable shirt and i've had the fortune of being able to support a lot of the engineering development in in the in the marketplace the subscription service the inventory a lot of that stuff in the early days and and more recently we have a tiny engineering team that that supports it now very cool uh two very different uh animals uh splice and elizabeth clark uh which is definitely um a really great background context for the idea of effective distributed teams, um, just by virtue of the fact that those two um, businesses, both their industry uh, and and their scale, uh, are, are substantially different. So, um, before we dive into some of those maybe uh, meaty specifics, why don't we talk generally about your take on the role of engineering um, within a business that isn't purely a tech company? Yeah, I've, I think my understanding of, of of the role of engineers has evolved. A ton, as I've as I've been building teams and I've been sort of getting deeper into into tech and in tech enabled or supported companies. More and more today, I understand the role of engineers to be levers, business levers, and our our job is to use our skill set to build technological solutions, whether it's through spreadsheets and sometimes by writing code to enable the business to to accomplish its goals. And, and especially when you're a startup, it's helping the company learn faster than the market before you run out of money. One of the things uh, in a leadership uh, position that I think is is a key responsibility is the is helping your engineering teams find that connectedness back to the business, um, both in terms of having a voice into it, but also um, you know understanding their role and sort of supporting that that higher level uh, initiative. I'm curious, like um, if you've had any techniques or tools or processes for just helping your engineers stay more connected with that that part of the the engineering uh, responsibility. Yeah, I think the biggest or the most important thing that I've been able to do is 
be extremely transparent around the state of the business and helping the organization understand what levers we are able to move and how they work. Um, I think there is a big portion of our industry that uh, sort of idealizes the the role of just building software. Like our job is to build software no matter what. And we, so look, it's, it's, a, it's a really great thing that we're fortunate in many cases of, do, of, of getting paid to do things we, we enjoy very much, which is writing code and building things. But sometimes we over-index in the building things or in the learning, right? Oh, look, I, I, I really want to join this company because they use X technology. Yeah. Not because they're building X or they're driving. I just, I just like working with X and it doesn't matter. I'll do whatever. I just, I just want to do this. And it makes it a little challenging when, 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 when you're trying to drive an organization, um, if you're not connecting the folks who are responsible for, for building the, the business to the actual business. So let, let me take a little bit of a step back. Uh, what, what I do really try is to help the organization understand the entire funnel, uh, get them in touch with our customer, Splice, artists, right? We support both artists in, in, our, in our music marketplace um, on, on, on both ends, people who use the samples that are in our collection and also uh, artists, sound designers, producers who make the samples that we that we sell. We have a plug-in business line, which is a little bit more of like a rent-to-own uh, model. So we enable artists who don't always have a ton of money to acquire very expensive pieces of software in a rental model um, and creating that empathy for like, look, this is why it's important that we make software accessible and we don't make it more expensive and we actually like deliver the service. Um, giving that context to, to the engineers who are responsible for building that is, is critical for me as, as an engineering leader. Once we are able to present the objectives or the goals of the business, it, th with their skill set, they can determine what the right solutions for some of the problems, of course, in conjunction with design and product management, uh, but what the solutions are going to be and how to start experimenting and iterating towards whether it's increasing your revenue, acquiring more customers, uh, making a specific piece of uh, our, our product more accessible or more functional. Sure. Yeah, I, I also think that um, something that you touched on there that I think is really ironically uh, empowering to engineers is um, once they understand the business context, the the benefit of constraints of knowing, um, you know, where revenue is or, or what the health of the company is or what our, our business objectives are, helps them arrive at a, an effective solution, ironically, a bit faster um, by virtue of knowing sort of the, whether it's the urgency or the initiative or the, the, the end user experience um, versus like, your, your, to your original point, the, the sort of greenfield just build for building sake, the, the kind of crippling openness of that can be a, a bit interesting. So it's cool for sure. One of the things that I think is particularly interesting about your situation is having the experience of, of you know, getting to work with Splice and, and see and, and, and help along Elizabeth Clark, 40-ish engineers at Splice, a couple at Elizabeth and Clark. It's a very different 
sort of ball game. Can you talk to me a little bit about sort of the share overlap of, of those types of engineering teams at that scale? And then also sort of the, the most stark differences in your, in your opinion? I think I've been very lucky to have been a part of both uh, at the same time, because I can contrast what may work in one, what may work in another. And also I have the context of tiny team uh, in, a, in a, a lot of software that I wrote versus a, a pretty decently sized team in a ton of software I didn't write. Both are businesses and both to some extent are subscription based businesses. So we do like, we are trying to make money <laughs> and, 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 and uh, not just grow in, infinitely. Uh, the, the constraints on Elizabeth and Clark has always been, it's a bootstrap business, right? I, at, at some point I've, I've also been VC, right? Um, whereas Splice has raised a significant amount of money for the purpose of, of growth and for the purpose of, of grabbing a market uh, much, much faster. The key learning has been how the delivery pipeline has such a big impact in making the team effective, right? When you are a one-person team, and when I was writing the first version of Elizabeth Clark, we had to ship the first version of Elizabeth Clark. I think it was in three weeks. We had a launch. Melanie had had had, had some challenges with her original development um, sort of outsourcing team, and so I doubled down on automation for for mm-hmm. our entire platform, and I doubled down on on domain driven design for d- like designing our software uh, or, or our business on top of the software and then optimizing the delivery pipeline. So it really, it really had to make sure that we were continuously delivering that uh, automation was, was running and that CICD had to work really well. It splices at, the, at a different scale. And I got a chance to take something that worked for five people, but then when we grew, it broke down, right? We had a staging environment that was a single staging environment that a lot of the things that we had to to test on were were there and when multiple people start sharing a staging environment which is like an extension of their of their development environment people start getting stepping on each other's toes and like look staging is blocked you can't really ship anything we're testing this it starts sort of at scale these little paper cuts are are a lot more noticeable um on one end to, to ensure that the the two engineers who right now work at Elizabeth and Kirk are extremely effective, we continue to invest on those tools um, in different ways. And in Splice, we do the same thing. We have a production engineering team that continuously invests in, in, in their uh, primary goal is to drive cycle time down. Whereas um, in Elizabeth and Clark, we have Heroku, right? And it's not, it's not, this is not a, <laughs> a sponsor, but we, we, we have built the least amount of software ourselves and effectively outsourced many of these things to other companies and would rather pay them that use our own money or, or, or at least our own time to build things that are already built. So we use Circle CI, we use Heroku, we use uh, our database, uh, our primary store is on Compose. There's a lot of software as a service that we use because we cannot afford engineers to to do that. At Splice, we can, and it is a lot more effective, and it is a lot more, uh, so the the return on investment is also uh, 
much better. So uh, I've, I've been able to contrast these two patterns and recognize that neither of the, or them are, are better. They're different and in some cases work depending on the context. One of the things that you um, that we touched on earlier, obviously, is the, the notion of uh, distributed teams. So you've got 40 or so at Splice, you have a handful at Elizabeth Clark, and that's another sort of, um, you know, let's say around the, the effectiveness of a team, a factor for sure, uh, both in terms of your ability to effectively hire, build and scale uh, an engineering team, but then also in enabling different modes of work for them. Um, so I'm kind of curious uh, for, for both sides, uh, both, you know, Splice and Elizabeth and Clark, how, what's your experience been with like the role of locality and, and remoteness and, and how that's played out for, for both of those organizations? So I've been fortunate enough to have built or run teams with a distributed component for the majority of my management careers for about nine years, eight years. Awesome. I've been working with distributed teams. I It, it got to a point where I sort of like was enlightened by the fact, okay, look, I have one person who is not in the office. We are a distributed team. That's, that's it. We have mm-hmm. to act like it. In the past two teams, I've had the chance to build or the past three teams. I've been delivered about it. Uh, before Splice, I was a, at a company called Ride.com, which was ride sharing or carpooling. That's the first distributed team I built from scratch, and I learned a ton. Um, that team was primarily in Latin America. Then the second sort of major region was North America. And we had a few time, a few people across other time zones in Europe and in, in, in other places. And the first learning there was, for me, constraints. And time zone as you are scaling is a big mm-hmm. challenge in some cases. So I started constraining at least an overlap. Why? Because I don't like getting into people's lives. And no matter what, uh, if you have a really broad time zone overlap, some like business is going to come in the way and someone's dinner is going to be affected or someone's taking their child to school and they're going to get a call. And I don't like that. So at Splice, we have constrained the, the first version or the first phase of our, of our team to uh, time zones. So people who live within three hours of New York. So the majority of the, of the Splice organization is in North America, um, the United States. There's a few folks in Colombia. Uh, I am biased. I am Colombian. And I had a, a group of folks who had worked with me at, at, at Ride who, who came along to Splice. We have um, an engineer in Uruguay as well. And, but yeah, the Americas right now is our focus. That What this has allowed me to do is to, to be extremely deliberate around communication. So what I found, or at least in my experience, is that when you have a distributed team, um, and here I'll make a, a side note. I believe all teams eventually become distributed because you can't fit all in a room forever. So at, at some point, you're going to have a different floor or you have a different office or different anything, and you're distributed. So if you get distributed processes to work sooner, you can scale or you can be ready for these things faster. Very much like when we were talking about the staging environment, if you plan a little bit ahead, then the pain will be much less. 
what we've done at Splice and in, in to like a minor degree at Elizabeth Clark is there's very specific channels or channels and, and I don't mean them by, by chat channels, but like mediums or media by which we communicate. So we communicate about code in our source control mechanism, right? Uh, we use GitHub and that's anything related to our software goes there. Anything around our iteration planning goes through Clubhouse. Anything that is related about coordinating, yeah, we use the chat, Slack, back and forth. But at least for engineering, chat can be considered only for gifts, right? It's like for jokes and for things. It's not nothing mission critical should only be relayed in chat. We distribute important information and email. And then as, as a leader, I assume that everyone will be eventually consistent uh, over a 24-hour period. So some people will open their email in the morning. Some people will, will end their day with, with email. And, and everyone will at least have seen what what we've communicated, what is important sort of broad communication. And then that also gives me the ability to, to plan and have a cadence. And if there's emergencies, we have protocols. So there's an on-call rotation that uses pager duty for that. And if there's anything critical, people know, I will text them. Everyone has their phone number on their Slack profile. I've, I think I've texted people three times or four times in the last three years. But that way, people can organize their time. Uh, we don't expect to, to, to constantly be available and it makes it a lot more scalable and a lot more reliable. You mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the effectiveness of bringing those things to your engineering teams. Um, obviously communication is a, a huge part of helping engineering teams, um, be effective. I, could make the argument that's probably the most uh, important one. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that, that goes into, um, you know, optimizing and, and, and uh, an engineering team and helping them to, to kind of produce, you know, strong and, and, and valuable products. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, I, I know, like, you know, there's a notion of like time, there's a notion of like their tool change and the developer experience um, and just internal processes. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, you know, what are, what are some of your thoughts on, on how to help a, uh, an engineering team, uh, it's most effective software eh, at least from my perspective and I'm, I'm stealing this from at least this line i stole it from stealing it from kellen uh who is the cto at etsy at etsy um it's a it's a is a, it's a process and not an end product right so you codify mm -hmm. whatever you know about the business into software knowing that tomorrow whatever you know is going to be outdated it, it is a, it is an, an iterative process of you learning about the business, learning about those, the problem that you're trying to solve, codifying it, releasing it to actual users, learning about all the ways that you were wrong and the assumptions of why you thought this was going to be the right solution, and then doing that over and over and over again. Um, so what you strive to become as an engineering organization is a learning organization, an organization that with every line of code that was deployed or deleted, you're aiming to help the company learn something about its market, right? Faster, we've said this in, in startups, faster than you run out of money. At Splice, we, we have a mission. The engineering mission is to enable our company to learn faster than the market by deploying or delivering 
the high quality production software at a fast tempo. The tempo or the rhythm at which we deliver software is critical. The faster we can do it, the better the organization, or at least the faster the organization, the organization can learn and the better we can stay ahead, ahead of, of the market, or at least knowing how to, how to move forward. I had two huge problems at Splice, at least since, since I've been here. The first one was building the team. I had to solve that problem. Uh, so going from five to, I think we went 55 engineers in the first 18 months. That was a huge, huge thing to figure out and build a, a recruiting pipeline and attract people and build a culture and build pro- All these things were really, really challenging to do. We, we got there. In the process of doing that, I also broke down the delivery of software. Um, it stopped working right our processes stagnated the staging thing was broken our quality process was broken how we deployed there's and there's still many broken things but when i started looking into why everything was so slow and why we couldn't deliver value in in time or at all in some cases um i was able to start to look for how our industry was looking at this problem. It took me a while to find the right, at least mindset or the right research, but I stumbled into two, at least a few, a few important resources. The first one was the state of DevOps report, um, which led me to, to a book called Accelerate. And Accelerate summarizes a lot of the learnings of the state of DevOps report on what makes engineering organizations high-performing and how high-performing engineering organizations are really great indicators of, of um, high-performing businesses, no matter what industry. And then they break down 20 capabilities that you should strive to get in your organization in order to become a high-performing organization. They also outline metrics that they found were really good indicators of whether an organization was high-performing or not, which is uh, cycle time, mean time to restore. So cycle time is the time it takes you to to get uh, software out of customers. You can measure it from, at least at Splice, we measure it from the first commit of an engineer to when that pull, pull request was merged because then we assume that pull request is automatically deployed behind a feature flag or something. Um, so it's already out to some customers. Mean time to restore or how long it takes you to recover from an outage in production. Um, change fail rate or how often like how often you're introducing error uh, errors or, or defects into your software. And deploy frequency, how often you're deploying software um, into production. Those four metrics, at least the top three, so cycle time, mean time to restore, and uh, deploy frequency, helped us at Splice Mm -hmm. start thinking in a very scientific manner about our own delivery practice. And we were able to understand, like, look, engineering delivery is our own responsibility, how fast we can get software out of customers is something that we have a lot of, well, 100% ownership on, but also the ability to have impact um, through 
whether right. we speed up code reviews, we make we we deploy in, in smaller batches, we break down features smaller, we reduce a lot of the perhaps bureaucracy and how do you get some stuff out? You decentralize staging, right? We, we, one of the coolest things we did was we created uh, feature branches. It's every every PR gets its own gets deployed. Um, at least into S3, we use a single page app so it can be deployed into S3 and you have infinite staging environments, right? And in that unlocked a huge part. I think we've reduced, when, when we started doing this work, which was a year and a quarter, uh, a year and a half ago almost, our cycle time was on average 200 hours. It took us 200 hours to get a code out to customers. Right now, I believe when we're on an average of 40 hours. Um, so wow. it, it, this was done by deliberately setting metrics, setting a baseline, measuring and understanding, okay, look, what can we move? And, and those solutions came from engineers. Right. Like, look, here's the direction. How can we drive this down? Um, what ideas do you have? And everyone started little by little contributing to, oh, we should... We should uh, not do so many uh, reviews per person. Okay, let's watch what impact that has on the quality of our code. Um, but there's all these ideas that started coming together. Um, we built a production engineering team dedicated to watching and, and, and driving cycle time down. And it had a huge impact on, on how we can deliver business value faster. Yeah, and I mean, 200 to 40 hours is a, it's a tremendous reduction in the amount of time it takes you to get you know, from first line of code out to, to customers. I think one of the things I'd be, be curious hearing a little bit more about is how at an engineering organization like Splice, where you've got, you know, you know, 40 plus engineers versus Elizabeth and Clark, where you've got just a handful, um, you know, is, is there any like obvious sort of like difference in scope or, or ability to tackle that sort of stuff? Or is there a different way that maybe you seek out um, some of these optimizations or, or approach helping your engineers kind of find which optimizations make sense? Yeah. So the resources available in the two different companies are different. And by resources, I do not mean people. Uh, resources, I mean money and time, right? We we have a significantly different like a order or two orders of magnitude difference in in the two companies. So the the way to approach the problem has always been been different. Even though I wasn't so conscious about the importance of the delivery pipeline and in, in, in processes when I started to set up Elizabeth and Clark, um, I was a little bit more experienced. Let's say when I when I joined. Splice, but Splice had already three years sure. of many, many, many experiments built up. As a startup, Splice was for many years, for three years, I think it was 14, 15 employees tops that there was a cap on people that they were, uh, that we were willing to, to be because we, we were in survival mode. We need to find a product that sticks. Splice, uh, Elizabeth Lynn Clark was in a similar position but we had not raised anyone any money so the agreement that i did have with melanie was we were, were so we, we went out to market we are going to keep the site surviving but we are going to spend some time and invest in our infrastructure and in our architecture so that then we can scale much better the first year i built the site and i built a bunch of stuff and then 
with a with a Simon who I hired uh, in Colombia. He came in and he helped me rewrite the site and re- and put and, and and take over some of the stuff that I had already put in place of our delivery pipeline and and make it better. Um, here it just took took a while. Rewriting our site took almost a year. Um, and while Melanie could focus on delivering and improving her product and improving many things of like the shirts and, and, and launching a couple of Kickstarters and stuff, we couldn't really iterate on the website for a while. And this was just a, a technical debt repayment. We, we, we couldn't do parallel tracks for a while. Um, in Splice, it's, it's different. When I joined, yes, we had a ton of technical debt, but that was not a problem because we had found product market fit to some extent. We had found a product, our sample library, that people were subscribing to, were giving us their money, and and that gave us the opportunity. We had also found the, the plugin business as well, but it, it gave us the opportunity to start parallelizing. And yes, we went to sure. investors and said, like, look, we want to do many, many more things at the same time for this. We need capital. Can we take some? Um, and what I get is a lot more engineering time to invest in paying down many, many of the decisions that we had to make in the past because we had, we, we were less, we had less information, but those were the right decisions at the time, right? And when you were five engineers and trying to build all this stuff in a couple of weeks and just ship it out and see what happens, uh, you, you will make the decisions you'll need to make with whatever tools you have, hoping that when you have money and when you've survived, then someone else is going to come in and clean it up. And and we have, look, we've upgraded our search infrastructure. We've upgraded our entire infrastructure. We've upgraded our payment system. We've upgraded our desktop application. We've relaunched our mobile app. It's like we have had at least six or seven successful migration projects uh, because we have had the space to to do so and to think so right we're not a huge team either but we've been very deliberate around and very strategic around which bets we take to move the business forward um into the future so there is a big difference in 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 the resourcing um right how you use time uh at splice let's say that for example an hour of engineering costs the company a hundred dollars an hour the, the way I help engineers think about their time is, look, if you're going to spend more than an hour on something, see if you can buy it. Right. 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 Uh, and this is the same thing I tell Nicole. Nicole is right now the, 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 the lead software engineer at Elizabeth Clark. And I tell her, you should not be spending your time because you're still spending company money. So if you need to spin up more servers in Heroku, do so. You have this up until this amount where you don't even need to ask me about the money you spend. Um, when from our perspective, the cost gets to closer of like a yearly salary of an engineer and like with benefits and the, the management overhead, cause we're all <laughs> a little overhead when, when it, <laughs> when it, when those whole thing adds up and it makes sense, then we can look at like bringing those things in house. But, an example is feature flags. We don't need to build our own feature flag system. Let's look at out what, what's out there. Oh, Lunch Darkly does some really cool stuff. Let's use it. Um, we don't we don't need to build everything because 
Splice is not in the business of building software. Splice is in the business of helping musicians make more and better music, helping them get paid. All of our energy, all of our in-house energy has to go to that. We're here for that. Um, the same for, for Elizabeth Lurk. Nice. So I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious, like uh, if you had any sort of like high level um, kind of like, you know, sagey words of wisdom or advice <laughs> for, for either existing engineering leaders or, or engineers looking to get into like, you know, um, more of a leadership or, or management type role, um, you know, what, what would be some of like the, the bigger high level points for, uh, that you'd like to share? I think the first thing I like to usually say in this is that all advice sucks because <laughs> everyone's context is different. Um, the advice I'd even give myself as the chief technical husband versus the VP of engineering of a, of a, of a venture backed startup is completely different. Um, so just anything I say and anything you read about leadership or management, contextualize, try to understand what context this worked at. Even like, look, I am a, an immigrant man uh, and, and, and who, who is a little punk. So doesn't give a, f- doesn't care <laughs> about um, who he pisses off. And that has enabled me to be a certain kind of leader, right? This may not work for, for other people. Um, so any, it's, it's, it, it applies to engineering advice as well. What works for Google or Amazon or Netflix does not work for your five person startup. Yes. Chaos engineering is a wonderful idea. The idea of having a robot going around, tearing everything down is wonderful, but maybe in the first six months when you have zero users, you shouldn't spend your, your time there. Contextualize it because As you progress, as your company progresses, as you reach milestones, you will sort of earn the privilege of of investing and learning about other more interesting problems once you have a business that is solid. Um, the, the, The advice that I would like to give all engineers is aim to learn as much of the business as, as much as you try to learn in, in like engineering, right? If you spend three hours learning about the latest front end framework, spend three hours understanding what is cause of acquisition, what its relationship to li- uh, lifetime value is, what a, why its ratio is important, how you can drive higher or lower cost of acquisition in a business when it's like with growth marketing or organic search. If, if you, if you are at a startup that's trying to build a business and you know a lot more about uh, what is it, React hooks, than how your business acquires uh, customers, then you're not really being there for your company because you really cannot do not have the the foundations to solve the problems for the business that you're trying to support. Um, so that would be my advice, whether you're a manager or or, or an engineer. And being an engineer who really understands the business gives you superpowers. Could not agree more on that front for sure. Um, awesome. Well, I, I think that's 
I mean, I, I could probably carry this conversation for another uh, real long time, to be honest with you. Uh, but um, we should probably give you some of yours back. So I really appreciate your time, Juan. Uh, this was a super fun stretch of time to spend with you. Anthony, thank you very much for having me. Uh, if people are interested in following my stupid tweets, they can find me <laughs> on Twitter at Burica, B-U-R-I-T-I-C-A. Uh, I'm sorry in advance, though. I do say a lot of stuff. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Juan. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.